Uh, thanks, Bindi. Uh, can I just say a, a very special welcome to our long-time visitors? We're sort of getting visitors on Christmas Day that we only ever see on Christmas Day, uh, some from afar, some from nearby, and it's wonderful to have you uh, here with us. Uh, this week, uh, I was sent this picture. Some of you can see that, I hope. It's not Christmas, uh, but it's a famous painting of the Last Supper, that time where Jesus ate with his 12 disciples before he would then go on and suffer and die uh, on the cross. Um, this was sent to me accompanied with a joke. Uh, Jesus went to a restaurant and he asked for a table of 26. Table of 26, please. And the waiter said, sir, table of 26, are you sure? There's only 13 of you. And Jesus said, well, you see, we've all agreed that we're just going to sit on one side of the table. There's not enough laughing. I think that's actually a very funny joke. That's better. It's not good, is it, when you have to encourage people to laugh at, at your jokes, um, though it is, it is funny. As we seek to remember what happened some 2,000 years ago with Jesus's uh, entering history and his life and teaching, his death and resurrection. And, and as we try and remember that with things like paintings and, and even with songs, from time to time, uh, some historical inaccuracies can creep in. A another example, in 1857, John Henry Hopkins Jr., he wrote a Christmas carol that would become famous. Uh, we know it today as We Three Kings. Some of you will know this. We three kings of Ari. You're familiar with the song. Uh, there's at least two historical inaccuracies in that Christmas carol, and they're just in the title. Can anyone sort of yell them out? They were not necessarily kings, and there was not necessarily three. Yeah, there could have been 40 of these magi coming from the east, following the star, looking to worship Jesus. So imagine that scene, 40 of these guys with their camels and their llama and all the entourage. There could have been 40. There could have been four. There were no llamas. He's arguing there's no llamas. I don't know. Is a llama a camel? Let's actually look at the biblical account. What does it say in verse 1, if your handout's there? Uh, it's plural. Where it says magi, it's plural. And so we know that there was at least more than one. And these characters, they're not referred to as kings, are they? But verse 1, again, magi or magi. And from the Greek, this is where we get our word, our English word for magic. And so they were likely magicians, sorcerers, astrologers, possibly from Babylon, though we're not given the detail on that either, and possibly like the wise men who were consulted back in the time of Daniel, though that's not made clear either. But both the inaccuracies from that song, Kings and, and Three, it comes from the presence, doesn't it? There were three gifts given, and so we might assume three givers of those gifts. Uh, but I have one wife, Jen, and today I hope to get more than one present from her. Uh, maybe several. Uh, shops are shut, so um, 
the number of gifts doesn't determine the number of givers. And because gold, frankincense and myrrh were very expensive, the magi or the, the magi must have been wealthy, we assume. And so we might assume they were also kings. Doesn't say that in the text though, does it? So if we carefully read this account from Matthew's gospel, what's it about? It's not about three kings. It's about two kings, King Herod and King Jesus. And it tells us that Jesus divides the room. Bindi just read for us in verse one that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. You imagine just for a moment that you're the reigning king. You're the one who calls the shots. You're the one who is in charge. And there's a knock at the door. I realise it wouldn't have happened quite like this historical inaccuracy, I suppose. But you imagine this for a moment. The visitors, they knock on the door and instead of bowing down to you in reverence, with respect, you're the king. The visitors ask for directions that they might bow down to someone else. And it's not the king of some other nation. This is your kingdom And you think that would be a little unsettling? Something like some visitors turning up nowadays to a big company and and going up, bowling up to the CEO. Uh, Where's the CEO, the the visitors ask. Uh, We want to meet him. Uh, I'm the CEO. No, we're not interested in you. King Herod was known for his anxiety around this. In fact, King Herod executed three of his sons just to hang on to the throne. Augustus famously said it's better to be Herod's pig than his son. Safer. And so you picture this King Herod flexing his muscles. No one is going to take my spot. I'm the boss. And so obviously the arrival of King Jesus disturbed King Herod. And when King Herod is upset, so is everybody else. Who knows what he might do? Who knows who he might execute? And even as King Herod consults the the Jewish religious experts being advised on on the birthplace of this, this king who was to come, King Jesus spoken about hundreds of years before his arrival from the prophet Micah and the prophet Isaiah. We know from later in this chapter, Herod is really just gathering information, not so that he can join in worship as he tells the magi he wants to do, but so that if at all possible, he can just delete this King Jesus. There's a great contrast in leadership here, isn't there? King Herod who will kill and destroy so that he might remain in charge. And King Jesus from verse 6, a shepherd-like ruler who will be killed and who will be destroyed. 
King Jesus, the Almighty One who lowered himself into the mess of this world, the God-man who came to suffer and die in our place only to rise and rule. You reckon the problem for Herod is not lack of evidence or information? I mean, it's all there for him, isn't it? The problem is not evidence or information. It's the throne. Herod likes to call the shots. Herod likes to rule his kingdom. And I put it to you that this is what our problem can be as well. Jesus divides the room. We may not want someone to rule over us. We like to be in charge, don't we? I mean, that's part of our cultural perspective. We like to choose our own adventure. But King Jesus, the Almighty One, enters history and says, trust and follow me. And this king, he's the gentle and and lowly, loving Lord Jesus Christ, the one who knows all things and the one who can actually give us what we need, the one who entered history because we need him, the one who suffers and dies in our place to pay the penalty for our sin if only we, well, bow the knee to him. We might want peace on Christmas Day. And, you know, it's the day, isn't it, where you just put all of the relational mess aside and let's just sit at a table and get on. We might want peace at Christmas time, that the ceasing of all war, that we might actually walk onto the battlefield and and play a game of soccer. What a wonderful historical moment that was. But you see, at Christmas there is a war of the heart that goes on. Will we let Jesus rule? Will you let Jesus rule you? Bow the knee to King Jesus. If not, you have no place with him. I love reading um, Dick McClellan's book called The Warriors of Ethiopia. Dick's an old guy, he's still alive, but he was a missionary uh, in Ethiopia And he speaks of the impact that Jesus had on the people in the Omo River Valley region. In one chapter, he says, away over there, isolated, uh, distant uh, valley, the the people, they heard a rumor, a story so incredible that they just had to find out if it were true. One day in the, in the marketplace, and you picture some marketplace in Ethiopia, two guys, a witch doctor and a slave, they heard a trader selling clothes and buying coffee beans. And this trader, to sort of drum up a crowd, to draw a crowd, to get some interest, he told a story that he had heard from someone along the road. Others had repeated it before him. The men doubted that if it was true. The rumor, a white man named Jesus could make people new. And you picture a guy in the marketplace telling this story. This Jesus, he would put his hands on the shoulders and he would turn them this way and he would turn them that way. And hey presto, behold, they were completely new people. It's some bizarre rumor. 
But these two blokes, they wanted to find out if it was true. And so they, they journeyed to Bulky couple of days walk I think and they found Dick the missionary a white man and they said are you Jesus no said Dick but he's here I can introduce you to him and for the next two days and most of three nights Dick and another local Ethiopian believer they explained the gospel to them that they opened the scriptures They explained the God-man who entered history that we might be reconciled to the loving one who made us. The men believed, the witch doctor and the slave, they believed and they raised both hands high. They said, having renounced Satan and believing in my heart that Jesus is the son of God who died for me, I take him as my saviour with Two hands, I will never deny him. The two hands thing might be a bit odd to us, but in their culture, to to give both hands, it's a sign of surrender, a sign of complete surrender. And that is what it is to have Jesus as your king. Surrender. Complete surrender. And those men... (laughs) As they left, they visited every village on their way home and they said, it's true. The room is true. Jesus does make people new. Two things from Matthew chapter 2, two kings, King Herod, King Jesus. Jesus divides the room, the the magi. they, They find Jesus, don't they? And they bow down in worship. Sinners. You know, they're non-Jewish. They're from the East. Sinners from afar, they hear of a king who is born and they look into it, they find him and they worship. It is beautiful. Christmas is so beautiful. Don't let your little throne get in the way. Let me pray. Our loving God, we thank you for Christmas. We want to recognize that the mess in our world is not just distant from us, but that it is in our hearts too. Lord, we are a people who would rather rule our own little kingdoms than live your way, which is better by far. Lord, we're sorry for this and we pray that you would soften our hearts, that we would surrender, completely surrender all to our King Jesus, knowing that this is the kind of King who is not lording it over, but who is gentle and lowly, loving and patient, a sacrificial servant who lives the life we could not and dies the death we deserve. Lord, we thank you that now he is at your right hand and that one day he will return. And Lord, this Christmas, may our little kingdoms not get in the way of yours. Help us with this, we pray. Amen.